0: with a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com.
1: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at Kizzik.com socks.
0: This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we finish up our conversation with author Mark Parman. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 260. Everybody. Welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast. Whew. What a week it's been. I am back from my trip to the Southeast, which was a ton of fun. I'm getting caught up in the office now and looking ahead to Pheasant Fest, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Here we come next week. We'll get to the rest of our conversation with Mark Parman in just a couple of minutes. I want to mention Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Got a handful of new signups this week, so we will have some Birdshot podcast can coolers and stickers on the way out to those patrons shortly. All of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. I appreciate it. They get access to the bonus content, Patreon giveaways, and the can coolers and stickers. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right. As I mentioned... National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up next week in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. This will be the last chance I get to remind you all to be at the Onyx Offline Party on Friday, March 3rd, next week. That party will be held in the Grand Rushmore Hall at the Ramcota Hotel. Live music, giveaways, and free beer. What else do you need to know? So definitely check that out. And the night before... I haven't checked if there are still tickets available. I'm not really sure what the status is, but just in case, the Trampled by Turtles concert for conservation going on Thursday night to kick off Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Look into that, grab a ticket, and we, as in Upland Gun Company, have got some tickets for that show, and we're still kind of figuring out who will be at the show from our team, so let's throw it out there. There's a chance I may have a ticket or two available Not totally sure, and I imagine I might get a lot of responses from mentioning this here on the podcast, so be forewarned, I won't have a ticket for everybody, but if you're hanging around on Thursday in Sioux Falls and you don't have a ticket to the show, maybe let me know, and we can talk next week. Other than that, hope to see you at Pheasant Fest and Quilt Classic. If you're there, you better stop on by the Onyx Hunt Final Rise and Upland Gun Company booth. Come check out the shotguns from RFM, the vests and great gear from Final Rise, and the crew from Onyx Hunt. All right, hope to see you next week. Okay, just a quick shout-out to anyone and everyone that I crossed paths with on my trip to Charleston, South Carolina. It was a long drive there and back, but it was well worth it in many ways. Had great driving weather, got to see a lot of this wonderful country, including some brand-new uncharted territory for yours truly. Truly. I got to say, driving through the piney woods of the Georgia and South Carolina region was very cool to finally lay eyes on it and also oddly familiar looking to the Northwest Sands area of Wisconsin, the sand country, as you've likely heard me mention many, many times. Red pine and scrub oak up in this part of the world, a little bit different species type down there, but boy... There were many times I had to catch myself. I thought I was driving through northwest Wisconsin. The piney woods of the southeast were not all that unfamiliar looking to me, which I found to be interesting. I did get to take a brief walk on my trip home before I made the big drive back up to Minnesota and followed some bird dogs on a little released quail hunt, which was enjoyable it was a beautiful morning started out chilly warmed up a little bit blue skies and sunny and i just enjoyed putting down a little bit of boot leather walking through some of that quail country and following bird dogs of course with good friends i, I talked to so many people down at the show whether i knew you before or just met you the people of the south were amazing as expected folks from pheasant forever and Quill forever took good care of all of us exhibitors that were in the quail village. So a bunch of friends from the rough grouse society and American woodcock society. It was just, it was just a blast of a trip. And I hope to go back down there next year. Talked to a lot of listeners, a lot of quail hunters. It was just very, very enjoyable. So thanks to all of you that made it a great trip for myself and Upland gun company. And with that said, I think we'll move into part two of our conversation with Mark Parman. Hopefully you caught part one last week really really enjoyed this conversation with Mark Parman found myself laughing a number of times as I was editing the show I hope you enjoyed part one and if that was the case you'll certainly enjoy part two so let's head back to the grouse and woodcock woods and welcome into the conversation and back to the birdshot podcast Mark Parman Back to those frost pockets so how do you how do you identify the frost pocket is it only the topography is it the cover within it or like it's just like this little bowl that you're talking about
1: yeah they're there and some of them are pretty big like I have one of them right in my backyard okay on the I'm looking at it right now and it's it's probably only about 15 feet depth but there's a couple around that I I bet they're 70 80 you know it can be pretty you know, a quarter mile across. Wow. But they're just, they're, they're really, I think, unique to where I live right here. Okay. But, you know, like when I come up and hunt around your neighborhood, it's, it's a totally different. You're not. Landscape. Yeah. That's all, what's oh, okay. might call that Sand Aspen.
0: Yeah. 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 Sand country. I mean, that was,
1: that was essentially sharp tail country years ago. Right, right. Right. The Northwest sands there. So when I, when I come up and that's only 30 miles from me, it's like, well, I'm in a different country up here because it's much more up and down, down here, but they're, they're basically these bowls and, you know, there's no stream outlet. Okay. Uh, it's just like, it's just like a big amphitheater, but they're often, you know, nobody goes in them really. And they, they will log them a lot. And, you know, some of them hold quite a few birds. So, so you they're could, so, so you, could have, you
0: could have, you could have a prime like aspen cut inside of one of these little pockets.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, there's like just north of my place, there's one called Martell's pothole. And I, I still don't, know who Martell is nobody's been able to tell me <laughs> and it's a it's a really big one pretty deep and I don't know when they logged out last 20 years ago like 10 years ago was it was there was lots of birds in there and it's it's kind of growing up now but they tend to log those if they can I think with modern day logging equipment too they, they can pretty much go anywhere yeah right around around here anyway so take that feller buncher in there yeah, they really. I mean, I'm amazed when I see those guys. You know, the you know the angles they're driving with those things. So. Yeah,
0: I I was actually my my son is my my older son. He's five and a half. He loves he wants con- to be a logger. Well, he loves construction vehicles. I got to get Mike <laughs> to like. We got to do like a field day at the at a logging site or something because he loves logging equipment, anything construction related. Just yeah. yes, just yesterday actually, this is kind of a weird, funny story. But I picked him up from school and we had been notified that. There was a uh, there was going to be a road closure in front of his school, and so we were trying to get in and out of there by a certain time. Well, long story short, they were the kids were late coming out, and so we got stuck. And then I had no idea, but I guess the president of the United States was here yesterday. Oh yeah, Biden. Yeah, he was yeah, looking he was at. at Earth. I saw he was at Earth Rider. Did you <laughs> see that? I no, I didn't actually. He but he was looking at a bridge or something. I think.
1: Yeah, he was, he was, I think they were there for funding the Blatnick because I think they're going to rebuild the Blatnik. That's correct.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so it anyway. Which a bridge. You maybe should tell you. Yeah, right. Right. The the Blatnick bridges connects Minnesota Links. to Wisconsin. Yep. There's the Blatnick bridge, which is also sometimes called the High Bridge. And then there's the the Bong Bridge. Bridge. Is that the low bridge? I don't know. Well, you know, the joke that i that I heard. I, I people, can
1: imagine there, you, there are numerous jokes around you, the bong you, bridge. You
0: drive over the bong bridge and you come back on the high bridge. That's that's the one <laughs> I <hear. laughs> uh, oh, yeah. yeah. But anyways, so then so we got blo- they blocked off the whole road and we parked right there. And man, it it honestly was like we were stuck there for an hour just sitting in the parking lot. Yeah. And we eventually saw the motorcade drive right by us yesterday. So, but where I was going with that is, of course, that's a long time for a five-year-old to sit there. And so we started watching (laughs) logging videos on YouTube and we were watching a Feller Buncher (laughs) video yesterday, which, and it was like this little factoid video, the, the surface area that those tracks have, have and take up was like the amount of downward pressure was like something incredible where like, they don't. They don't press down on the ground even more so than you or I because they distribute their, which is like hard to even believe, but obviously they thought that through. They you don't want to be wrecking the forest. Pretty wild. Yeah, they they float they float
1: pretty well. I mean that the you know fat bikes that you know you can ride right, a fat bike in right. the snow with, with a four and a half inch tire and you run. I, I don't know like three four psi in those things. So those tires probably have super low pressure, and you can just see them squashing and you know the rubber conforming around objects so they're yeah they're definitely designed to float but i don't know i i wouldn't i'd tell them not to be a logger because it seems like those guys (laughs) those guys are the hardest working guys that i know of yeah you know around here in the summer i hear them they're cutting at 5 a.m and you know they'll work till nine right just that's that's a that's a hard life i think
0: i wonder i would imagine that there'll be some there'll be some issues this winter because you're obviously not freezing a lot of swamp roads right now to get into some of those timber cuts. So that, that could set things back. Yeah. I
1: don't, I don't, I don't know what the, I mean, we, we had some frost, pretty good frost in the ground, but I don't know who knows what what the weather, what's going to happen. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know in Minnesota and that, that is a little different too than kind of where like the sand country in some Northern Wisconsin versus Minnesota is so swampy that there's a lot of places that, you know, the only way you can log them is during a good hard freeze winter where you can yeah. get these ice roads in there and so that could that could delay some cutting this winter i imagine
1: yeah we definitely have i mean when i get up there's so few swamps up there compared to it's here it's like
0: nothing yeah
1: yeah it's
0: like if there's a swamp you head for it, right uh, ah yeah. yeah there's there's going to be birds down there
1: or or anything that you know presents some sort of edge cover
0: it took me a while it took plants. me a while to kind of put my finger on that it seems so obvious now but I mean, I guess, I think I noticed it, but like the lack, I was so accustomed to hunting swamp country, the lack Mm -hmm. of, of water sources in, in some of that sand area. I mean, it's a really, it's a kind of a game changer in some ways. And I I w I haven't quite figured out, like, I want to know, like, what are the conditions? I mean, do you just need a really wet year? Like, what are the conditions where perhaps the the birds explode on that sand aspen, or maybe they never do. Like, I don't know. I, I have not quite figured that out yet.
1: You know, I I was talking to somebody the other day about the cycle, and I don't, you know, the 10-year growth cycle. Yeah. I don't think it, you know, I've lived through three of them so far, and they seem like they were a lot more pronounced. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember, I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I was hunting it was a really good spot. And I think I walked for three and a half hours and saw one bird. Jeez. And I came out and it's the only time I've ever been stopped by a warden and he stopped me. He's like, hey, how's it going? And I go, oh, it's terrible. And, you know, he knew about, he knew about the low grouse yeah. numbers and he never even asked to see my license or anything. Right. <laughs> He's just commiserating with me. But I, it's like the last seven, eight, 10 years, it's just been the same in my experience. But again, you know, that's a pretty small sample size.
0: Right. I was going to ask you about that cuz you had you commented on it and I I do think like if you look at the Minnesota numbers you can kind of see the peaks and the troughs have been that band has been narrowing between them. Yeah. And what that is. I know you've done some research and looked into it and I mean what like it's as far as I understand it's still pretty like sort of in question as far as like what the exact cause of it. You know, there's some speculation by was it? I think it was Gullion and that was spe- speculating. Maybe the aspen trees kind of fight back in a way, like
1: yeah, they produce well, one theory is they produce a toxin. I think they do produce a toxin. You yeah, know, that
0: right. They know that um, it
1: affects it affects grouse. You know, you hear goshawks don't have snowshoe hairs, so they're yep. you know, pounding the kind of But you know, the goshawks are gone now too. So that's you know, they're not here through the winter, which is fortunate because I think goshawks palm grouse more than any other predator. At least at least around here I mean I see him all the time. Yeah.
0: Well, that's that was see, one of the and most, I see
1: Yeah, I think Gulian called it the grouse, you know, she renamed it the grouse hawk and I Gullion did say it was, you know, the number one predator, so.
0: Yes, the numbers that he throws out in that book are the is like like the amount of grouse that he observed a pair of goshawks killing on his forest. It was like I mean, you hear that and you're just like, "Wow." Like I mean, unbelievable how many how many grouse they kill.
1: And I have, I have this really, it's published in the 40s, an old, old grouse book and it's called Wisconsin Grouse Problems. And they were, you know, mentioning it as, you know, the apex predator back then or the number one predator on grouse. So it's, I think we've known this for a long time. Yeah. But then you can correlate. I always like to look at, i don't know if you know, look at Hawk Ridge and their numbers up by you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really look at Hawk the numbers, Ridge? but I'm definitely familiar with it. Yep.
1: But they, they always, you know, if you can go on Facebook or Instagram, or whatever, and they have their chalkboard of their numbers and you can see when, and they, they have these records going back, they call them eruptions. So you can see w- well, you know, what the, the GOSOC numbers migrating okay, through okay. are. And it correlates like, you know, how many birds are they going to take out? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, I, I have, I don't know if I've told you this story, but I, I, shot a grouse a couple of years ago and I mean, it was a pillow, you know, feathers everywhere and they're all over the balsams hanging in the trees like Christmas ornaments and, I had Jenkins and he couldn't find it. And we looked and looked and looked like where is this thing? And then I I just finally let him go. And he he did a beeline about 60, 70 yards. And we come out onto this old skitter trail. And there's another pile of feathers. And and as it came out, his bird had flushed away. And it was a goshawk. It pounded that grouse because I winged it and it was running. Oh wow. And by the time I got to it, it had eaten like half the breast. No kidding. It was like stripped the feathers it looked like a turkey neck you know and you get your frozen turkey you yeah. know all the feathers are stripped off it and it eaten most of the half of the breast and i'm like holy cow so i i had for some reason i had a ziploc bag in my my vest so i carved off the one good breast and laid the rest of the bird up on the tree and said here's your half so <laughs> i mean it was a tag team right but right i couldn't believe how fast that happened but no so, kidding yeah no. I, I think gosh ox too that that's what the the guys that do the hawking, they use those, right? I don't, I don't know that actually, but. I know that's one of the hawks they use. I've I read a few books on, on that. I'm yeah, sure the, it's not,
0: the falconers. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, it's just, I don't know that much about it, but. Yeah, I
0: think you're I, right. That's
1: one of. Them. I've always thought, what what would it be like to use, you know, a falcon in the grouse, with I don't know how, I think it'd be almost impossible. Jeez,
0: but. yeah, yeah, that would be tough. Unless you, yeah. you know, like a bird dog, you know, you, you raise a bird dog in the woods and they learn how to. Manipulate and fly through that cover, but yeah,
1: goshawks know how to how to do that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think they're usually striking from a perch, so they're up in a tree. So how do you? Yeah, I I don't know how
0: mechanics of that would work. So yeah, I'll stick to the shotgun. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That's 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 about the best we can do, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thought, but
0: I'll probably leave it at that. (laughs) What was I gonna? Oh, back to the cycle stuff. Okay, do you call them army worms or tent caterpillars? I guess. I I always, I always I would grew up calling both. them army worms. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard both. I know I've talked to Mike about like what's the deal with 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 army like we haven't had an, an outbreak as I remember in my youth. Like we had a couple of like where they were everywhere, but I feel like I haven't seen that for a while.
1: I know they they had some up in northern Dayfield County because I I've been up there and seen the trees and I, I again Mike is the forester there, so they, right. what's going on up there and. And he said that, and he goes, you don't have that down by you? And I go, no. So he was just, they were just leaning into that. But I, I don't think that ended up being all that significant. So. Yeah,
0: right, right. It's, you, you had mentioned it in one of your, you were sort of throwing the, the theories that had been tossed around. You were kind of laying them out in one of your Yeah, I know that that essays. was one of the
1: theories too. I guess the, the 10 caterpillars, should, you know, defoliate the aspen, and then, you know, how does that, affect the cycle in terms of, yeah you know, the budding for the grouse. So I, I still, I don't think they know, which is good. I think, you know, on a little mystery, it's good for us. Right. 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 Yeah. I yep. mean, there's a whole lot of mystery and grousing, yep. I would say. So yeah. maybe that's part, part of the appeal. So
0: yeah. And I think, and, and I don't know what, like, I don't know how I was going to ask sort of like how extensive your notes and, and journaling are, but I mean, we're in kind of an interesting spot where we had, like, if you recall, 2017, I think, was the year we had the explosive drumming counts, but very poor hunting. And then since then, we've kind of like we ticked up in 18, ticked up in 19. Then we had a couple pretty good years. Like I felt 20, 2022 was a was an above average year, and then this year was was quite good. And like, why is that? I mean, we ha- we obviously had good winters and good spring and nesting conditions, and now there's a bunch of birds in the woods, but how that relates to the cycle or any anything else. I mean, you know, these are, you just think about this stuff as the year goes by.
1: I think there's just so many, it's it's so complex. There's yeah. so many factors, right? Yep. I mean, I think the more you dig into ecology, you know, and look at, you know, what's happening out there, wherever you are, right? If you're in the prairie or the woods, mm-hmm. there's so much going on that we don't understand that, you know, affects these things. And yeah. how, how do you isolate all those details? and Exactly. Trying to figure out what's going on. But I think... You're right. I mean, good, you need good snow cover for snow roosting. You need good nesting. I think that, in in my opinion, and, you know, don't, don't quote me because <laughs> I don't know if I know what I'm talking about, but it seems like when there's poor nesting conditions where it's cold and rainy, that, that, that really suppresses populations. Yes. But too, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I wish we had more research. Like if, you know, the our state DNRs would just, you know, do surveys you know, and, and we could tell them how many juvenile birds we shot as opposed to adults. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that would give them a whole lot of data because you, you'd know what, you know, recruitment was for that year, but I don't think there's just, there's just not the money to do that. Yeah. Which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah. I've wondered that too. And, and again, talking to some folks, I mean, they like some, the DNRs will do like a, a lot of times they do like a small game survey, which is not a grouse survey. Yeah. So it's like, if you had this you know somewhat like i mean I, again i've thought about this in the loyal order of the little newsletter i mean he does it where it's a very specific grouse hunter survey like what if we just did that you know digitally to a wider audience you know and kind of you know you'd get a lot of a lot of input but what would what would something like that do for us or tell us or maybe you could create some sort of a new index to kind of
1: yeah i guess i guess ultimately is what what what's the data going to mm-hmm. how's it going to change your behavior and right You know, I think we, we know that, you know, young forest is, is huge. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, we're definitely doing that here in Wisconsin and Minnesota is doing it anyway. Yeah. I don't, I, it's, it's, I, I guess, you know, the older I get, you know, it is what it is. There's always going to be birds out there and, you know, I, I really like to eat them, but, you know, if I get a few more or a few less, it's not that big a deal.
0: Right, right. Clearly you enjoy grouse hunting for many, many reasons beyond the birds that ultimately end in your bag. But knowing you, I mean, again, you're, you're objective, you're observant, you're paying attention to these things, the ebbs and flows, and whether or not we come to some grand realization, we're still making the observations. And that's that's kind of part of yeah, hunting. I
1: think, I think, yeah, I think you want to be curious and inquisitive. I mean, I can't imagine going in. The woods and not being curious about whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for me at least, that's always going to be a huge part of it. It's trying to figure out what was going on.
0: So, what does, what does your, like, this is one thing I was c- kind of curious about. You know, you wrote Grouse Hunter's Almanac came out in 2009. When did Among the Aspens come out? Was that 16, 17, something like that?
1: Grouse Hunter's Almanac was
0: 210,
1: and Among the Aspen was 18, okay, 2018.
0: And, what do you, how, how do you put, how do you put a book together? Like, are you, are you just journaling and essaying as the years go by and then you just decide to gather them up and put them in a book or how do you do that?
1: Well, I keep, you know, I, I have journals going back, you know, 30 years probably. Mm. And you know those are mostly narrative. Probably the only statistics I keep is how many birds I killed. And then I always throw my shells in a bag and, and I can figure out my shooting. Okay, oversight. Okay. Anyway, which... Is about the only scientific thing I do. But,
0: and then, <laughs> so you, you, know, so you I, don't track, guess, fl- you don't track flush counts.
1: No, I know. Okay. I we keep talking about Mike, but he sent me all his statistics, and I'm like, yeah, maybe I should do that. Yeah, that's. I'm just not maybe built that way. So yep. I'm, you know, I'm looking at, wow, is this a, a gray phase or a brown phase? And mm-hmm. you know, what was it eating? And you know, wow, half its. I shot a bird this year with half its tail was missing. I'm like, Holy oh yeah, cow. Yeah, how was that thing flying? <laughs> right. Um, I guess it could, it could fly perfectly well. I don't know if it could just juke through the, the woods. steering, yeah. Yeah, it, it you know, and, and you've, I'm sure seen this where, you know, mm-hmm. the grouse, that fantail just bank hard right or left. It's like, holy cow. Yep. The, 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 the the big decoy. Yeah, and you, you shoot and you know, it's like, well, I didn't hit that one. <laughs> yep. um, because where you shot, it, it was there, but it's not there anymore. So, but yeah, I'm, I guess that from that point, I, I start writing things down and, you know, I get an idea. But yeah, I, I guess I'm. I would consider myself an essayist. Yeah, and and you know, working from there. I don't know if that answered your question.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. I was, I was. It's something that I'm more of a. I guess I'm. I'm kind of more of a analytics person, even though I've. I still track all my. I track flush counts. It's very similar to how Mike does it, and. But the last three years, I really haven't even total them up. Cause like one thing I do, I don't want to be, I don't want to know like what my flush counts are during the season. Cause I don't want to be like, I don't want that in my head while I'm hunting. Like,
1: oh, I'm, I'm way behind. Yeah. Or,
0: yeah. And, and or I, like I how many it, birds are or anything like that. So like I do write it down at the end of every hunt. I write flush counts and I, I use my, my watch and stuff to track miles and some other stuff. But now it's become such a big task at the end of the season to go and catalog everything that I just haven't done it for like three years. So really, my my assessment of the last couple seasons is purely by kind of feel. But you know, I have a have a pretty good understanding of what it was. But I it is sort of a goal of mine to go back and because I don't want to lose it. Like I I do like the flush count thing based on hours because I yeah, feel like well I
1: think I think I think flush. Like Mike, Mike's was flush per hour. Yes. And I think correct. that's what he really looks at because yep. flush per hour tells you, you know, how many birds, Yes, are, you know, your shooting can go up and down and. Exactly. Um, yep. Although mine is pretty much, you know, average door yours is pretty much the same. <laughs> it stays the same. You're not getting better every um, year, Mark? <laughs> no. No, I actually, I'm really consistent. I'm really consistent. That's good. So that's good. anyway, I, I think, yeah, if you, you're, if you're obsessing about anything, you know, it's, you know, don't do it. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, if you're going out there and going, I got to kill so many birds. Well, that, that's not a good place to be. I mm-hmm. don't think, yeah. or I got to flush so many birds or, you know, your dog screws up and then, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. You get so frustrated with the dog that it ruins your day. So, yeah. But it's good. Which like, is why I like to hunt with my wife. Cause she'll keep me balanced. There say, you, you go. Know, yep. I'm going to ask you to take me home. If you don't stop <laughs> riding the dog. Anyway,
0: she gets tired of the, the Moranathon. Yeah, she's actually,
1: <laughs> I'm. She's she's a good sport. I'm. I don't want to say blessed because I don't know if I like that word. But I'm. I'm glad that she likes to hunt. It's. It just adds another dimension to it. So anyway.
0: Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many Upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the Upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with upland gun company today visit uplandguncompany.com
1: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
0: But back to books. So you've got two out. I'm will. I got. going to have to go back and reread Among the Ass. I know I read that right when I got it, but I don't think I've reread it since. But you got another one in the works. So I, what's what's the st- – I know it's kind of early, and there's a there's a cool little tie-in with – upland gun company and uh, you and jay and jay dowd really is he's doing yeah the, he's doing the artwork for it what can you tell us about about it at this point
1: well i, I put together this manuscript probably it was almost two years ago and i pitched it to uw press which published my university of wisconsin press my first two books the first two and okay. they were they were yeah they were interested but you know then the marketing department got involved and for me that's never been a good thing <laughs> <laughs> you know, they wanted me, they wanted me to go this direction with it. And I was like, "Yeah." we sort of parted with, well, send us a manuscript when you're done and we'll, we'll go from there. And in the meantime, I talked to AJ at uh, project Upland, yep. and I, I just I was, went to Sousin last year, just, you know, a friend gave, here's, here's some tickets and like, yeah, I'm going to go down here and check it out. I know Wisconsin Sharptail, Grouse Society was going to be down there. Yep. Some people, some people, I mean, Jay, Jason was going to be there with his, his drawings and so i went down there and saw aj and then pitched it to him and he's like yeah well let's do that so that's how it, it got started so
0: then did uh, he did he loop jay in on on the artwork or were you had you and no, jay been I, you know i i first met jay up at your place oh that's right yes yeah i remember mike, that.
1: mike and i were hunting up there and we stopped over and had yep. beers and in fact i think I was trying to get him to go to Charlie Parr concert
0: at Earthfire that night. <laughs> that was a really t- t- that was a topic to go- of conversation this year. Actually, yeah. that we all regretted not going to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, we just you know he's he's read my books like my books. Yeah. And, and I said, well, I'm, I'm working on another one. You want to illustrate And He's like, yeah. So that's that's basically how that that got started. So anyway, that's that's what's going on right now. And I'm I've sent the essays, you know, the rough drafts to Jennifer Kinsky. Yeah who's editing it and she's, you know, marking them up and sending them back. So that's, it's supposed to be out this fall, which I think it will be. It's, it's on schedule. So that's good.
0: That's good. Just looking, who did the artwork for your, was it the same person I did it for the first couple books or how did you do that? Cause there's well, one, some little one, sketches one of the, in there.
1: One of, one of the issues I had with UW press was, and it's always been this is, you know, artwork. Yeah. Uh, and my first book, you know, their budget was like $500. And I'm like, 500 bucks, you know, that's not going (laughs) to give us anything. Right. So I went out on public domain and, you know, there's, there's stuff out there. Yeah. Like sketches and. Yeah. So I picked up stuff off the public domain and then the second book was the same deal, you know, and uh, I just ended up, you know, they're mostly Susan's photographs, but some of my photographs. So that's where that happened. So uh, having Jay as an artist is. You know, and, and it's good. It's a motivator. It's like, I'm trying to write better because I can keep up with these drawings. <laughs> you got to right?
0: match the quality of his artwork. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, if the book's no good, at least they can look at a picture. <laughs>
0: That'll get them through. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, this is, and and I have to say, you know, working with an academic publisher with, and it's not their fault, editors that don't hunt is yeah. totally different than, than Jennifer who hunts. And is in Washington, it has, you know, that perspective too. So yep. she's been, what should I say, critical in a good sense. Yep. You know, her, her comments have been very good. So Constructively critical. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping it ends up to be a, a better book, but you just, you never know. You, you, you send it out there and hope for the best. So. <laughs>
0: well, I don't want your head to get too big, but there has been at least one listener of the podcast that has declared you are his favorite grouse author, Mark.
1: Oh no, my! Just one, though. Just, just, just one. one. That's yeah. all I can
0: recall is is that one person that at least said you were his favorite. I'll put you up there. I I really really enjoy enjoy your books. All things, all well, jokes I'm, I'm aside.
1: Hoping, the, the next one is I mean my my working title is Upland Matters, and it's a little more. Mm. I mean I'm I'm a I'm a grouse and woodcock hunter. That's you yeah. know what's around here, and that's what I hunt. But I'm um, it, it all started with I read this essay called The Worst Decision in the History of the Human Race. And it's about a guy named Jared Diamond. It was about when we transform ourselves from hunter gatherers to farmers. And mm. He said it was the worst decision in the history of the world. So I go, oh, this is interesting. And so I started thinking about you know our transition to the cultures we're living in now, and, yeah. and what happens when we go back and hunt? Because you know we're you know going back to our our old old history and, and doing that. And how how does that change us? So that's that's what I've been writing about.
0: Yeah, yeah. And as much as as much of a grouse and woodcock hunter. You, if you have now gone, you've gone out. Did you go out sharp tail hunting this year? You know, the last two years, two years ago,
1: my wife, uh, Susan's plantar fascia is so bad. And, you know, she's like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. And, you know, it's like, you can't even walk for a half an hour. <laughs> I'll just sit in the truck and read. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Um, and then this year I got sick. Oh. Uh, so the last two years we've been stymied and haven't gone. And then, you know, it's grouse season here and you just start grouse hunting. So yeah. I, I. Had a friend that went out there, I almost went with, and then I had a, another friend who owns some land in North Dakota that after Thanksgiving, he's like, yeah, we should go out and, and pheasant hunt, but we never did that either. Mm. So I've not been for two years, but I have, you know, worked my dogs on the sharptails up Dorothy. So yeah. Yep. I get my fix. I mean, I really like sharptail hunting. That's probably my second favorite hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting bird. I and would, there's not. Yeah. There's like no, nothing much written on sharp tails, and maybe that's because it's, you know, it's so small that an audience.
0: See, I, um, t- I'm glad to hear you say that because I had that same, you know, I guess I'm similar, like obviously I'm a grouse and woodcock hunter and I've gone out there and everybody that listens to the show knows I've kind of, I really enjoy those September trips out to the prairie and hunting those birds and their grouse and native birds and it's just, it's cool. But I, same thing, like if you compare the the level of literature on Ruffed Grouse to sharptail Grouse. I mean, it's just like so lopsided. And and I was I sort of made that declaration like a year ago. And then Andy Wayman, you may know him, he's a writer. He's written a couple books on mm-hmm. grouse. And he kind of was like, Oh, there's there's some stuff out there. So we brought him on and we did a whole episode on like what writing there is on Sharp Tails. And there is some interwoven. And I picked up some books that he recommended, but It's again, if you compare like how many books are just titled like rough grouse, like there isn't sharp-tailed grouse books in in that same way. No, it's not.
1: But, and there's not maybe even more telling, there's not a lot of pheasant literature. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, I can think of, you know, one book that sticks in my mind is Daddis Proper's Pheasants of the Mind. And, you know, there's some how-to books, but there's, there's not a lot written on pheasants and they're much more widespread and probably, I mean, in terms of numbers of hunters, way more than. Rough grouse hunters, I would think. Right, right.
0: I I don't have that pheasants of the mind book, but I I have heard that recommended a number of times as far as like one to check out in the pheasant world.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, I mean it's a that's one of my favorite books. Do but,
0: you have anything you know, you by Steve Grooms?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of his, and they're kind of those are kind of how tos, mm-hmm. but in a in a good sense, you know. I think he can write a, you know, New England grouse shooting is basically a how to book, but yep. You know that that's a wonderful book. Yep. And so is uh Don Johnson's. uh um, oh, yeah. Woodcock. That's yep. it. And there's some there's some decent how-to books, but then there's some horrible ones too. That I know <laughs> there's a couple in rough grouse hunting. It's like wow. <laughs> I won't I won't name names. Yeah. But
0: anyways, the, uh, the the Don Johnson book I on the episode last week it was just myself. I was kind of commenting on some winter reading and I mentioned gully and I mentioned New England grouse shooting because I. Why well, listen to that? Did you listen to the Project Upland version of that? Do you listen to audiobooks?
1: No, I'm not what? a. I don't. I don't spend a lot of time in a car, and I think that's yeah. Yeah. why I don't listen to a lot of. I mean, I guess, and I'm a reader more than anything, but that's. I, I have that. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my shelf.
0: Yeah, that's a. That's one that I kind of have started basically rereading once a year, and it's just it's amazing to me how much it holds up, how much grouse hunting is grouse hunting and, and especially his takes on grouse dogs and the dog work. I mean, it just. Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a, he was a field trial judge, wasn't he? I think so, but I, I don't know. Sounds, I mean, and, right. and
1: well, con, well connected in you know, and yep. all the dog circles of the day. And in fact, I think he might've died in a
0: field trial. I think he did. I believe, I believe uh, that's correct. Died with his boots on like Aldo Leopold. Right.
1: Forest fire. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yep. But yeah, I mean, the drawings in that book are, why not? And yep. I think one thing that Jay and I share is he really likes, and and Jay's style is sort of... Yes. Back. I mean, it's not exact by any means, but... And I, I illustrated some of the drawings in, in my uh, first book, which were in the public domain. I don't know if you're familiar with Limbo Hunt. You know that name?
0: I definitely know the name. But Photographer? He was illustrator. No, he was an illustrator, no, illustrator. Was a, was an illustrator okay.
1: like 40s and 50s. And okay. he's, you know, Jay... I'm sure Jay knows all those guys. But he's he's got kind of a style like that too so and those were all in the public domain so it was like you know those you could snap up for nothing so yeah
0: yeah I definitely have talked to Jay about the I mean certainly been influenced by by the sketches and stuff in in and Foster's book and yeah it's just it's just reminiscent of sort of classic rough grouse literature you just kind of you see that and it's a style and
1: And I don't know what why there's so much writing on rough grouse you know maybe right back to the original yeah yeah, maybe maybe we're just readers or we're, you know, you hate to say, oh, we're a better educated crowd, you know, that kind of thing. Because, you know, then you're into snooty territory. But, right, right. You right. know, it does, rough, rough grouse is probably, I, I think it is, the most widely distributed game bird in the U.S. So it just, you know, more people do it.
0: There's a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think my thinking so, too was like, again, sort of. Them being on the eastern side of the country, you know where where there was a lot more people early on. Sharp tails well, being definitely, a western there's definitely species. a tradition. Yeah, there's
1: definitely a tradition of of rough grouse riding. It goes back over a hundred years. So. Yeah, but I'm just surprised there's not a pheasant tradition. To be honest with you, yeah, that is surprising. Uh, it just there's not a lot. I don't know. Maybe pheasant hunters are just down to earth, and or maybe it's a non indigenous <laughs> bird. There's, you know, just there's, right, right there's it's maybe too difficult to analyze so
0: yeah I, I picked up a couple of the steve grooms i mean i hardly pheasant hunt but obviously i'm interested in all of it and i picked up a couple of the steve grooms book i haven't read them i went on a, like a book buying spree last year especially after talking to andy wayment and and you know tom davis is a writer that he's i think he's a wisconsin guy he's from he's from over by green bay yeah that's right but he's he's you know he comes from a grouse hunting tradition mm-hmm.
1: although i think you know don't quote me on this either, but I think he might have grown up in Iowa. And so did I uh, you familiar with Michael McIntosh?
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah, he, he was from, an Iowa guy, from, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he he was in Iowa. Was, I really enjoy was, a lot of his stuff. Guns, yeah, he's and, he's an excellent he's an excellent writer. About everything. I mean his stuff on guns is really good too. Mm, but yep. so there are there are people, but you know, a guy like that never wrote a pheasant book. And he he very well could have. So
0: Yeah. What's what's the current state of your gun lust. Because you, you are susceptible to it, again, by your own admission.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like all kinds of guns. And, yeah. and I mean, I mostly shoot a Browning 20-gauge super light. Yeah. That's, that's my go-to. But Is that thing really five and, pulling, and a half
0: pounds? It is. Gosh, I, that's light. It is. it is. It is. I really like that gun.
1: And it's, I'm left-handed. You're so lefty. It's, it's got, it's a neutral cast. And that's, you know, I don't, you know, all the expensive guns, you know, I looked, I, first thing I do was look at them. It's, like, oh, that's got cast. Yeah. So, but I like all kinds of guns. You know, I, I got some, uh, really, really, what should I say? Cheap guns, you know, pawn shop guns. You know, like I, I shot my, I have a Franke 48 AL 28 gauge and I, I've taken it to several gunsmiths and they can't reverse the safety. So I have to click the safety off with my thumb, but I always take it out when I'm by myself so I don't shoot somebody else.
0: (laughs) Is that a semi-auto?
1: Yeah. Okay. And that gun, that gun is super light too. I, that, that's down around five pounds. That's like a whip.
0: I gotta but imagine I a 28-gauge semi-auto would be about as comfortable a gun to shoot as there is. It really is. I, I keep telling my wife, why don't you shoot this thing? It's yeah. a
1: beautiful gun. <laughs>
0: is she a lefty? And she's like, no, it's, no. Okay,
1: but neutral. No. Yeah, she's got, and she's got the Siren women's gun, which is a great gun because it it's the first gun that's ever fitter. her, you know? Right. That That is for women. That's a wonderful option to have. But I also have a, I have a, Ithaca thirty seven. Oh yeah, uh, the old featherweight. That's, but it, this one is ultra feathered light. And it has a aluminum receiver. Wow, and that baby's light too. And and it, I put a reverse safety on that. So, okay. but I can't I can't chuck it. You know, I forget to pump. it. <laughs> it's a single <laughs> single shot for me. But <laughs> it, I shoot it really well. I mean it, and I have a I have a sling on it. So if I'm going to do a long walkabout, okay, I often bring that along with me. So. One of your ski or snowshoe but, hunts. Yeah. Or just sometimes I, 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 there's some couple covers that they're gated off. And if you walk and walk and walk, yep. you get to some really good stuff and nobody goes in there because it's so far. That's a good gun to have. But yeah, I have a, I have a super light 12 too. I don't know it matches my 20 and then I have a Benelli left-handed
0: Monty Feltro. So I got a, a good arsenal. But That, yeah, the super I keep, light I keep, 12. I keep, is, keep, is a nice for pheasant. I mean, that's, it's like That's six, a nice and, a, six and a quarter pounds, I think I, I wrote down. Yeah. Yep. I
1: mean, yeah, you, you sh if you want to shoot, you know, trap with that or a skeet, you just get pounded.
0: Yeah. But for oh. a bird gun. And it's
1: yeah. I really like them. My wife bought when I was 40, she bought me that gun. So but I keep looking at the upland
0: guns. Well, I know you stopped by our booth at Pheasant Fest last year.
1: <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I keep telling myself, you know, beware of the man with one gun because he right. shoots it
0: well. Right.
1: But yeah, I'm always Oh, that's nice. I mean, they're they're tools, right? They're fine tools that, mm-hmm. that you know that I admire. So, and I'm really I'm you know people say you got a pistol, you got an air. No, it's like I have no interest in a black gun at all.
0: You know, I like wood and steel. Yeah. Did you ever that's stray true. into the world of side by sides or no?
1: Yeah, I've I've my like I said, my wife has that Ugar to Oh, that's right. Yep. Which I really like that gun, but I, I've tried to shoot it and I just can't. I guess for me, I've found that I like a really narrow plane, mm-hmm. sight plane. Mm-hmm. And when I throw up a side-by-side, it just seems, you know, like I'm throwing up a, you know, two-by-six. And I just like, and that's why I like that Franke 28 gauge, because it's so precise in terms of pointing, for me anyway, so. Or maybe it's just a every... Side by side, a shot has
0: cast, and I'm that
1: could be. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mile off the target, but to be honest with you,
0: I really don't have a lot of experience shooting side by side. So. Yeah. Do you still shoot small shot size like number nines? What's your What's your favorite?
1: Yeah, I do. You know, I always. If I, you know, I don't. I don't shoot a lot of woodcock, but there's times when, and and Susan really likes to shoot woodcock, and then we have some really favorite dishes. Yeah. So we'll specifically go, okay, we're gonna go to the spot because I saw a bunch of woodcock here and, and go woodcock hunting. And that's when I break out the nines. For grouse, just straight grouse, yeah, you know, seven and a half, eights. Yeah. I, I think I think nines in a in a 12 gauge is good. But I think it all you know, we talk about shot size and, and gauge and, all, and chokes and all that stuff. It's like, well, what kind of dog do you, do you hunt behind? Mm-hmm. I thought of it on my I keep mentioning my friend Jeff too. He's got golden retrievers and I remember and we trade and go back and forth. You know, we'll use his dog. We'll use my pointing dog. Yeah, and then we've been we've been trying to mix them together now, and use pointing dog with the flushing dog. But the flushing dog puts the birds up much farther out. Yeah, and I think the first time I hunted with them, this bird flushed He's like, "Why didn't you shoot at that?" And I go, "That thing was a mile away." Yeah, he's like, yeah. "No, that was a perfect shot." <laughs> and I'm like, "You're kidding?" He's like, "No, why didn't you shoot?" So it's like, man, I must change my chokes
0: here. And if you know, she got a pointing dog, you might be shooting. I mean, I swear I shoot birds at 10 yards. I uh, Yes. I'm I'm right there. Uh, I am so accustomed to that. I want to be right on top of them, you know? Yeah. And then you see uh, a bird that's that's 25 yards out, totally in range, but you're like, ah, that's a little far. Ah,
1: uh, that's too far. Yeah. Your
0: perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like that was too easy with a pointing dog. Yeah. When I went out with a flushing dog, because some of those shots are way out there. But, you know, whenever I see discussions of shot size and chokes, I never see, well, what are you shooting? How far away are they? Mm-hmm. Because that's the first thing you should probably think about Yeah, in that discussion. But
0: Yeah, that, that's why it's tough to go on Facebook and say, what's the best shot size for grouse? I mean, you're going to get a thousand <laughs> answers and they all might yeah. be right in one way or another for one person. But
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, really, when somebody poses a question like that on Facebook, I just sort of have to chuckle to myself <laughs> because... You know what's the best dog for grouse? <laughs> yeah, whichever anyway. one you got. Yeah, yeah, just use one. Yeah. I'm surprised. You know, I understand people can't maybe have a dog, but man, life's a lot better with a dog.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Will there? I, I wanted. Oh, forgot to ask. Will there? Is there any sharp tail stuff in the in the new book? Or is it all? Rough yeah, just go? a
1: little little bit. I, a little I wrote a thing. piece about. Yeah, I wrote a piece about you know the sharp tails here in Wisconsin. Okay, and, cool you know, what's, what's happening with them. And then there's, there's a little bit about, actually it was, I think you were, that's the first year I went with Mike. When we were uh, out there.
0: Yeah. I thought that was your first trip. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was. And it was the first, I mean, I, I, maybe I haven't told you this. My wife made me buy a cell phone the day before we went out there. You didn't have have a cell phone? No, I didn't have a cell phone. (laughs) That was like
0: 2019. I know.
1: (laughs) In fact, fact, Jen Wapinski said, you didn't have a cell phone? I it's like, no, that's when I got my first. Cell phone. And she didn't believe me. <laughs>
0: that's unbelievable. But I
1: mean, Mike's got, you know, Onyx, and I'm like, hey, what's this? And, uh-huh. and yeah, so that was my first. And then you guys are all, you know, you're like, Instagramming each other in the field. And I'm like, what's what's this? <laughs> oh boy, this is new. This is new. But I mean, you know what? I guess for me at that point, it's like, man, I'm like 20 years older than these guys. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm like showing it. God. Yeah. Actually, actually, I have a chapter. In, in, the, in the book about technology and I think that anecdote shows up there so.
0: <laughs> that's funny well selfishly I just kind of want to see a, hopefully see a J. Dowd Sharptail artwork he's done some yeah, he's I done mean, some
1: I, yeah we can you can tell him make suggestions yeah I might have to I'd have to <laughs> so I mean I know he he likes it you know I, I think part of it is when you're a grouse hunter you go out there it's like man I can see these yes. things yes and you can see the dog work right mm-hmm, sure you, you, you know it's like preseason work around here, you know, you're, you're in a jungle and my dog's pointing somewhere up here, you know, but you can't see it get to that point and work the birds, but out, out West, you can see the whole thing usually. So.
0: yeah, Okay. Last one for you. Have you, okay. have you been back to visit that one specific white pine stump you like to visit?
1: No, I have not. Uh, you know, every year I tell myself I'm going to, you know, it's about two hours, maybe two and a half from here. I I keep, I keep telling myself we're going to go back there but, you know, between here and there there's like, you know, you go through Park Falls, which is, you know, the epicenter of grouse hunting, Rough grouse capital of the world. Rough rough (laughs) grouse capital of the world. But it's it's all huntable from here to there. Yeah. And I went back once when we were still going to our dentist and we hunted, stayed overnight and hunted some down there, but we didn't get near there, but went to some of the covers that, you know, I've hunted for years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I keep telling myself I'm going to go back there, but I just, there's so much here that I never get to it.
0: So. Yeah. I just, I picked up on that because I mean, for the white pine, uh, it's an iconic tree, obviously, but it just thinking about, and you talk about this a lot, you know, again, the virgin forest and this, this place looked a whole heck of a lot different than it does today. It's just kind of puts into perspective, you know, your are sort of our recency bias and, and yeah. assume like, oh. Our you know. rough,
1: I think it's our rough grouse
0: bias, Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, yeah. I but, mean,
1: white, white pine's a good, a good tree when it's, you know, five to 10 years old and provides yeah. good cover, but no, I still, you know, I, you know, from my back windows here, I can see several massive white pines. I, I yeah. It's a magnificent tree, but as far as grouse hunting goes, it's not so good. But, but, but oh, like, I'm sometimes surprised at what you'll see around him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I love seeing, you know, in the, in the middle of my, you know, Aspen stand or something, you know, one big towering white pine. I mean, it just kind of, you stop and admire it and you see a big stand of them. I mean, just, I just like thinking, you know, how long that tree has been there and how much the world has changed or, you know, it's just like, I think a common thing for people in forests and trees and, or at least kind of stops me in my tracks. And I've been, there's a new book written by a uh, professor at UMD here in Duluth called white pine. It's all about the natural history. And I, I, yeah, has, I, I don't I have it yet. Like, have you, do you, have you read it?
1: No, I just, okay. I just, I just, uh, was a couple of weeks ago. I saw a review of it and I was said, like, Oh, you get that book. Yeah. John uh, pastor. But there's a, there's the a, authors. there's a couple other ones that, you know, I noticed you know, that in searching. About white pine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But no that looked that looked like a really interesting book. So, have you ever read any any of the murder mystery novels by William Kent Kruger? I know who he is, but I have not read his mystery novels. Okay. I've I had read a couple of them in the past and then I just I was down at a local bookshop and I literally had in one hand I had the the White Pine book by John Pastor and then in the other hand a, a William Kent Kruger. and he kind of like he's a Minnesota guy. I don't know if he's from here, but he lives here and he writes about Northern Minnesota kind of murder mystery novel. So you got Boundary Waters and just all kinds of stuff. And the one I'm reading right now, it's like the third or fourth one in. It's called Purgatory Ridge. Super good. There's big tie into shipwreck and Lake Superior, and so it's just kind of cool. But it's also there's a there's a white pine protecting a stand of white pines theme in in this particular one. So I got I just got white pines all all you know seeing all those references and stuff. And then it was in your book as well. And the old burned stumps and,
1: and you know I, I still see i still see some of those around here right i mean they're they're everywhere and you know there's the forest burned and you know sort of preserved him so yeah once in a while i i will stumble upon one mm-hmm. around here so and some recent ones too sometimes i'm like whoa that was a big one yeah um yeah they, just north of me a couple miles they cut some you know they're just massive for you know i'm sure they're probably hauling them down the hill for me here in the sawmill, cutting them up for lumber, so.
0: Yeah. And and then on that note, kind of your, your little journey to see that one stump, it's, there was a tree, there's a white pine that I found in the Superior National Forest when I was, I was deer hunting, but I was kind of still hunting. I was just walking around covering some country and I, it was kind of back in there relatively speaking, right? And I remember I came across this white pine and it was, my memory's a little fuzzy. This was maybe, I don't know if it was 10 years ago, but this was a giant white pine on the side of a hill. And like, I just kind of admired it and then just left and went on. And I ended up jumping probably the biggest buck I've ever seen up there and really should have got a shot at it. <laughs> like, didn't really think I was going to, I was going to get an opportunity. Usually we we're stand hunting, but I should have got a shot at this buck. It was a giant buck. And my, my glove got caught on my, trigger guard. So I didn't get a shot. It was this real quick, you know, It was like a grouse shot. I mean, he was right there yeah. and then he, and then he hopped over this little rise and he was gone. And I just remember the back end of that deer and like, all I could see was this like wide antlers. I don't know how big it was. I mean, it seemed big, but anyways, that tree, like I want to go back to, it was on the side of this hill and I think I could find it. And I don't know if I'll ever do it, but I just have this desire to like, I want to go back there and like, measure the damn thing. I just think it was huge. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's sort of these like sentinel trees yes. around it. I mean, they're just, they're like landmarks too. I mean, they're, they're, you know, you navigate by them. I do all the time. It's like, yeah. a take a compass bearing it's like, head for that one there. And that's, you know, if you don't have onyx the compass. <laughs>
0: right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See so if I. You know, I was
1: hunting this, I have one of the, I think I bought it from a lot of grouse hunters. They have the compass on the lanyard. Oh yeah. Have you seen those? And I use it all the time. You know, it's right there. And I pulled it up and it's gone. It got ripped off in oh, the brush. Lost it. So I was like, out of my almonds. I was kept, kept. and I always carry another one because I once I got lost, yeah. I dropped my compass and I was, oh boy, I'm gonna be out here all night long. So <laughs> a couple of I close calls. Too. Yeah. That you know, again, that's before onyx and yeah. you can get turned around, that's for sure. But you know, I was worse things than spending a night in the woods in October. So there is. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know what the white pine stuff has to do with upland hunting, to do but with... you've got me, you got the wheels turning in, in my head and got me thinking and I appreciate it. And folks should definitely check out the books. You got two of them and, and with any luck, we'll, we'll be reading number three here in the near future. And perhaps I'll, I'll get through among the Aspens and we'll get you back on when number three does come out. Uh, so folks can stay tuned for that. But do you, do you have a website or anything, or where would you point people to, to go find those books, Mark? I would just say Amazon. Amazon, okay.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. Are they I mean, What's the
0: What's the status? Like they're in print, available? I would assume. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just. In fact, I just got yesterday. I got a royalty statement from them. Oh, so, nice mailbox um, money. Yeah, you can. Yeah, <laughs> mad money. It really is for me, mad
0: money. It's like you don't count on it.
1: It's like all right, well, one money to spend this time. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not enough for an Upland shotguns.
0: So. <laughs> oh boy. Well, that you're right, number three. So.
1: Yeah, no. But write, writing books is not a way to make a lot of money. So you should. It's like probably doing a blog, right? You're not going to get rich. Yeah, but it, it's enjoyable.
0: Well, keep doing what you do, Parman. I enjoy it, and I know others do. Specifically, that one listener I mentioned about 30 minutes Just ago. One. No, I I love it. I appreciate the time as always, and we'll look forward to the next time we have you on the show, buddy. All right, thanks. All right, Parman, hang on for just a second. That is it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.